BBCC episode 69. <laughs> nice. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, a podcast very high on horror. I am your boy, Devon Taylor, aka underscore Daddy Disco on Twitter and Instagram, along with my co-host, Mr. Garrett McDowell. Hello, we are back on Zoom this time. Don't get to see your lovely face in person, but we're back nonetheless talking about uh, truly, truly, well, probably the craziest movie that we've talked about to date. Yeah, we're we're getting we're getting sillier and I'm excited. And yeah, I do miss having you in person. Um I think uh if anybody misses you more it's Cal um misses oh having you in person. How, how's my little cuddle bug doing? Oh, he's no. he's uh he's distracted right now. So we're going to okay. hopefully he okay. stays that way. He, he like well, he he fucking loves you, man. <laughs> give him lots of love and scratches behind the ears, you know. Uh, 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 shout out to Cal one time. <laughs> of course. Um, excited to continue our deep dive into the Slumber Party Massacre series, uh, the uh, S- SPM series. Yeah, the SPM universe. The, the, the SPM. Yeah, it doesn't I, quite roll off the tongue. <laughs> that, uh, I feel like, I mean, Massacre is in there. We should just add the R, so that way it's the Sperm series. <laughs> oh, great. That's even better. Good work, yeah. <laughs> the Sperm. For some reason, every time I type it, I always want to type an L in there for some reason. I'm always like, S-L-P-M. I'm like, why am I putting all these extra letters in here? I'm not sure, but I'm not sure. Yeah, um, uh, I, if you had to say that this franchise is known for anything thus far, I mean, what do you, would you say are like some defining uh, uh, traits that we've kind of picked up on this? You know, I, I feel like there's some common themes in here that I'm excited to discuss. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to discuss those too. Um, definitely, food um, comes up quite a bit, um, which I, I love. Snacks around me, so yeah, I mean, like, not off to a good start. <laughs> lots of lots of food talk. Um, the, I mean, we got the drill weapons, the, the, and the killer always claims they are doing it for love. We always mm. got that too. And, and the boys crashing the party, but we'll get more into that in here in a minute. Those, these <laughs> fucking, course. these fucking boys. Speaking of boys, <laughs> um, it's not just going to be us two boys for this episode. I promised you guys that this episode would not be as much of a sausage fest because we are celebrating women in horror this month. Um, so I had to bring on a wonderfully talented guest to come and join us. She is the content editor for FilmCred and a writer for Dread Central and Daily Grindhouse. Welcome to the show, Jessica Scott. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome, yeah, welcome. We are so excited to have you. Um, yeah, you know, because those those pesky boys always crash in the slumber party and you know, <laughs> we're right. just trying to we're just trying to hang with the ladies. That's what that's what this <laughs> series is all about. That's exactly. right. Last week we were talking about um, that the, the slumber party that is thrown here. I'm like, this sounds like a terrific party, and the guys, frankly, ruin it. So it's good to have some uh, a female perspective in this episode. Yes, <laughs> two for two in that aspect too, because this, this the slumber party game just gets stepped up each with each entry. Um, you know, we're talking slumber party massacre two today, uh, and Jessica. So you're a fan of the franchise in general, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Both I um the first and the second are two of my favorite slashers. So awesome. very nice. Yes. Yeah, we had a we had a lot of fun uh talking the first one last week. Uh these are pretty much first time watches for all of them for both me and Garrett. So awesome. Yeah. Um except- I, I think the even though I neither of us had seen these movies, I know the reputation or reputation kind of preceded them. Like I knew the first one was kind of the chi- the the cheesy fun one, but then this one is just like, oh, that's the weird, crazy one. And I was like <laughs> re- very much looking to uh, looking forward to seeing what that was all about. And boy did I. Oh yes. <laughs> Yeah, and um, b- before we get into the movie itself, um, because you know, I-, I want to you know be able to mention some other female-directed horror films um, for this month. You know, it-, it is nice that this entire series is all directed by women. We kind of get to go into that. Um, but I did want to uh, curious, you know, what is the last female-directed horror movie either one of you guys saw? Uh, ladies first. 
the last one I saw was Tigers Are Not Afraid, directed by Issa Lopez, mm. which I this gorgeous like urban fairy tale with uh, almost entirely children in the cast, and it's so beautiful and uh, it's interesting horror because it's not typical scares usually but it really works in like fairy tale elements in an interesting way so i really love that movie Ooh, i i still have that one on my list i haven't i haven't mm-hmm. got to that one just because i need to be in the right mood for it um uh yeah. it, it, extremely sad films involving children are hard for me to watch for some reason um and i'm always just like ah i want to watch this but i hear it's really kind of a bummer (laughs) (laughs) no that's smart i mean you want to be in the right headspace for that one it is very sad yeah what about you garrett yeah i've been meaning to check out tigers you're not afraid for a while i'm see it's now streaming on shutter so i'm gonna have to give that a watch uh even though it sounds very upsetting (laughs) (laughs) uh the one that i watched is not i guess not even uh a little nicer it's it's about as equally as upsetting is uh, teton directed by uh, julia dakarnu which came out last year uh which is an incredibly fucked up movie very uh Leaning on the body horror angle, uh, lots of weird. I mean, talk about weird movies. That is, that's one for the books, isn't it? Because uh, I, I loved her prior film Raw, and I was looking, uh, you know, going into that, like excited to see what it was, and like, my God, just like hit me like a like a car, one might say. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't checked that one out, boy, strap in because it is, <laughs> it's a wild ride. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, a wild ride! I see what uh-huh. you did there. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and Titan has now uh, holds the record so far of movie that has been mentioned the most on the podcast already without having covered it yet. Um, <laughs> very excited for whenever we do, um, because it obviously came up in the best of 2021 episode, um, came yeah. up in the episode with me and Zero Gravity talking about Raw. And um, I, I'm actually going on uh, the Daily Horror Habit podcast next week, and we'll be talking about to 10. But whenever it gets talked about on this podcast, who knows? But very excited because um, it will happen. And um, my pick was I was going to go see the Batman last night, but then uh, Cal started crying and I felt bad. So then I stayed home instead and I watched Fresh. Um, as it dropped um, on Hulu at midnight, um, the new um, uh, horror, definitely comedy as well, um, film starring Sebastian Stan and uh, Daisy Edgar something. I forget what her last name is. Jones, I think. Jones. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, think. I, I almost said right. What did you think? <laughs> did you enjoy it? I very much did, man. I'm a. I, I realize I am a big sucker for cannibal movies. I don't know what it is. Um, it's it because it's like a. It's exploring a person, but it's like I also look at cannibals as monsters themselves. I kind of look at cannibal movies like monster movies, in a way. Um, even though it is a human technically, but I don't know. So I I kind of look at it in that lens. And um, it's just super fun. Um, I love an unconventional opening credits. Um, I won't spoil it for you, um, but what if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Which is um, the the setup of the film is really cool. Um, it's you know it has like it, it has all the rom com elements, but then once it does go into the horror, things get real dark and fucked up. And it has a very wicked sense of humor about it as well. And Sebastian Stan is doing the most. Um, he is doing his closest um, uh, Patrick Bateman in a way. And after watching this movie, I was like, you know what? Sebastian Stan could have made a good Batman himself. Um, he has a real good... Me, me and Garrett were talking about mouths when it comes to Batman movies. And um, <laughs> Sebastian Stan has a great mouth. He it does a lot an, of mouth acting in fresh. It's an underrated <laughs> quality for sure. And and rewatching uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, I realized Christian Bale's mouth is mostly open as Batman. He does a lot of mouth breathing in that. He and does. Sorry for what's going on behind me. I think the actual killer from this movie is like right beside my window. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jessica, for your money, which Batman has the best mouth? <laughs> I mean, it might be recency bias, but I'm a big fan of Robert Pattinson's Batman. Like, I I loved the movie. I was kind of obsessed with his jawline the whole time, not in a <laughs> ooh, sexy way, but just like I was just kind of obsessed with his version of Batman. So I'll go with Robert Pattinson, but 
Yeah, that I'm might not, just be the recency talking. My money's on Val Kilmer. Those lips are unbeatable. Ooh, I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on. Just begging to be smooched. Val Kilmer's <laughs> got the lips. Christian Bale has uh, interesting teeth because he like kind of has like the sharp canines and like his, his teeth are interesting. But I mean, Bobby Pats, um, he's, he's got a nice mouth on him, too. I mean, it, it's, it is a requirement for Batman movies. Got to have a good mouth. It is. Um, but yeah, and I don't even have a transition out of that. I was going <laughs> to say something about mouths in the slumber party, but I got nothing. So let's just go ahead and hop into it. <laughs> slumber Party Massacre 2, written and directed by Deborah Brock, released October 16th, 1987. Again, made on a pretty small budget. Um, thanks to uh, Richard Corman. Uh, this one had a little bit of a bigger budget than the first one, 500000 and I say they definitely made good use of it. Um, this film ended up making um, just $1.3 but I mean, hey, made its money back and then some, so, you know, it's still a win there. And, uh, you know, this movie follows um, my favorite, or one of my favorite progressions of a series of taking the first one that is kind of simple and tight and, um, you know, pretty straightforward. I mean, in the first Sloan Party Massacre, simple is like, it's the simple party massacre. It really is in a good way. Um, but then once you go from that to just the wild, chaotic balls to the wall, what the fuckery of a sequel, um, that's my favorite because I don't want the same thing twice, you know? So that's where I feel as uh, so far on this film. But uh, Jessica, why'd you pick uh, number two to talk about specifically today? Kind of for the same reason. Like, I'm just obsessed with how wild this movie is, how it spends so much time on musical numbers and like 80s party montages. But then there's a lot of gore and one of the wildest horror weapons in <laughs> yeah. the history of the genre. Um, and I, I also just love how queer this movie is. Mm-hmm. Like you've got like the bisexual final girl, like working out all her sexual demons through this dream question mark that she's got going on in her head. You know, there's an element of what's real, what's not. And it's just, it's so weird. I'm, I'm always a fan of things that go weirder and bigger. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, swing for the fences if you're if yeah. you're gonna come at me with a sequel. Uh, Garrett, what were your uh, general feelings coming out of this one? You know, if we're gonna like go towards like a sports analogy or something like that, if I dare, like <laughs> the first one is like a pretty, you know, it's like they're like laying down a bun. Like it's we we talked about last week. Like there is some stuff in there um, that you can dive into, but it's mostly like pretty cut and dry, just like a kind of. Uh, silly Halloween knockoff in, in a lot of ways. And then the next batter comes up and is swinging for the fences. Not only that, but he's like trying to hit it into the next zip code. Like this is such a weird, bizarre movie. Um, a lot of it, I think, um, as far as general feelings go, I think a lot of it could have used a little bit more weird flavor. Um, I think it takes a while to get like truly zany. And I think it's so much so that it feels like such a, like a, a shot of adrenaline to where it happens. Cause in comparison to everything else, it's the most of the movies kind of uh, drier, drier. Um, but I think uh, when it really kicks into high gear, boy does it. Uh, and it's really distinctive. And I will say this, I will not be forgetting it <laughs> uh, anytime soon. And yes, that the killer weapon and the, the guitar with the drill attached to it, it's like, who, what else? Like when, what other movie can you find something like that? in? so uh, it gets points for originality. It's very strange. Um, but I think considering how short the movie is, I think it does take a lot of time to get um, to, to where it's truly, truly interesting, but still, Weird movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for how short it is, it definitely um, it goes through a lot of different levels throughout the film. Um, and, like, taking a look at it, like, subgenre-wise is where a lot of the surprises, like, kind of came in for me. Because, like, okay, I knew that this was a musical. I was hyped for that. We get a total of, like, uh, seven either song or dance sequences. So, definitely, um, in my opinion, qualifies as a true horror musical um and most of them are bangers but i knew that coming in i didn't um i was very surprised by like how um you know psychological and like subliminal this was gonna be 
Um, I didn't know that this film was following Courtney, the younger sister of Val from the first movie. I didn't realize that. And I got excited. I was like, oh, because I like it when we truly explore explore the trauma of a final girl. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Courtney is a final girl. Her and her sister helped kill the dude at the end of the first one. And um, so I like that we kind of go back into that. And like the whole time, like with how dreamy this movie is, I was like, is this movie going to be entirely a dream? Like what is going on? You know, like the, I was very much surprised that the first, you know, 45, 50 minutes is a lot of um, just these like subliminal scares and like kind of flash sequences and like, you know, and, and, and I feel I, I was like, I bet they kind of did this for budget reasons just so they could like kind of recycle film a few times. Um, because I mean, even still doing that, this movie doesn't even get to 75 minutes. Um, but it does pack so much in and um, the the surprises uh, worked really well. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I thought that it had a, an increase in visual style as well. Yeah. Um, but then also still unpacking like some actual like themes of like, you know, exploring trauma, like survivor's guilt, like that kind of stuff um, amidst, you know, with queer subtext in there. Um, and, you know, also while still presenting like, you know, these four, this group of four girls that are all very well-rounded characters. We understand who each one of them is. Um, the film does so much in such a little time. And that very much impresses me on top of just all the other weird swings that it goes for in this. Yeah. I love, like, it makes so much sense when you, if you think about trying to come up with a sequel to the first one, it makes perfect sense. Cause Courtney was 12. She's, you know, exploring her sexuality. Then this really sexually charged killer comes along and completely changes like the trajectory of her like puberty. Like I'm so fascinated with their decision mm. to be like, no, let's, let's take a look at what this did to her psychologically. And they, I think they do it in such a smart way, even though it's, you know, wild and crazy and we've got rockabilly dance sequences and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I love that they decided to go that route. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, they, they definitely could have went, you know, from how simple the first one was, they it could have easily, um, you know, just kind of copy and pasted and, you know, did the same thing and kind of fallen into that. But, uh, instead, um, Instead, Deborah Brock comes in and is like, no, I, there's, you know, still more that we can unpack out of what we did do from the first one, but still make it so wildly different, which is impressive. So what, um, you know, this movie does pack a lot into 75 minutes, but Jessica, we got to see how much of this plot you can fit into 60 seconds for our 60 second synopsis. Are you up for the challenge? I'm up for it. Alrighty, so this, guys, is for if you have not seen the movie in a minute or maybe you haven't seen it at all, obviously recommend watching it because we're going to spoil it. You can uh, watch the first two on Shudder right now. Not sponsored by Shudder. We could be. Um, But anyways, Jessica, are you ready? I am ready. All right. Three, two, one, go. Courtney was Valerie's little sister in the original Slumber Party Massacre. Five years after the Russ Thorne murders, Courtney lives with her mom while Valerie is in a mental institution. Courtney's in a band with three of her girlfriends, and they decide to go to a condo for a parent-free weekend with champagne boys and rock and roll. There are a lot of musical numbers and montages, plus a semi-nude pillow fight and a crazed chicken that bleeds motor oil. Courtney has been having disturbing dreams about sex and a leather-clad killer with psychic visions of dead birds and bloody chaos, and her sister warning her not to have sex. 30 seconds. Her friends think she's crazy, but when she starts to have sex with her boyfriend, the killer actually shows up wielding a guitar with a gigantic drill on the end and slaughtering everyone one by one until only Courtney is left. But then Courtney wakes up in bed with her boyfriend and it was all a dream. But then her boyfriend turns into the rock and roll driller killer and Courtney wakes up in a mental institution with the guitar drill coming up through her floor. Wow, with eight seconds to spare. Awesome. Look at Jessica go. Um, <laughs> I, I love the uh, dedication to the prep. Um, I saw your live tweet yesterday, and so I knew you were gonna kill that sixty-second synopsis. Yeah, I was. I was practicing it earlier. Trust. <laughs> I love that because I, I remember I even I did I I gave Bobby a heads up, and then like during the recording, he act like he had no idea what I was like telling him. I was like, I was like, oh, you knew, okay, you knew. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I appreciate it. Usually, I'm the one up, uh, around the podcast here that is tasked with doing that, but you knocked it out of the park. 
awesome thank you <laughs> yeah I, I now now i feel like that's that should be like a, a a thing we have on the leaderboard too like how much time did you have left like how <laughs> now okay how fast can we get this oh now? man i didn't know it was a race now i, mean, I didn't well. <laughs> I, like i padded mine because i want i was like i want to be as close to 60 seconds as possible i want to be right. exact like yeah. <laughs> that that just says a lot about me i'm a very competitive person so like i love i love stats and leaderboards and things there like go. that there you go uh but anyways so this again like this movie kind of steps it up in every kind of way and i like that it does it and it, it still doesn't feel too much like this still feels like a slumber party massacre movie um so like what so whenever i say that how would you interpret that jessica like as far as like kind of nailing some of these recurring tropes well i mean it's very female centric You've got this group of girls who, you know, they talk about boys, they talk about sex, but they really care about their band. They care about, you know, I was listening to your uh, episode on the first one earlier today, and you mentioned the Bechdel test. Like, these girls, they like boys, but they're secondary. Like, they care about their band. They want to be, you know, on MTV. They're, mm. you know, having conversations about, you know, food and booze and things. Like, they, the boys are secondary, which is fun and is, you know, of a piece with the first movie. And you know, again, you've got what could seem like gratuitous nudity, but it's not intended for to like titillate men. It's just like random, wild. These girls are just having fun and not thinking about these boys who are spying on them. And, you know, you've got the obsession with food again. You've got the extremely phallic weapon from a killer who thinks he's in love with every single person that he's attacking. Um, and you've got authority figures who are kind of absent and just kind of abdicating their duties to help i think that's more prevalent in this movie than the first one because you know the teacher in the first one definitely showed up and tried to do her part but the parents are just kind of absent like they let the girls you know wreak havoc in a condo all weekend you know <laughs> yeah. um so i just i and i'm a fan of that i like movies that uh, say you can't rely on the adults kids you're on your own um and just a final set piece where it's just chaos, where everybody's running in different directions, everybody's freaking out. The boys are usually the ones to die first because they are the dumbest ones in the movie, which is fun. Um, but yeah, just complete chaos at the end. I like it's it's the same, but it's completely different. Which, like you said, is something I really appreciate. Yeah. So let's uh, let's kind of start with the the characters of this one because I don't know about you guys, but for me. I felt like these girls were even tighter than the than the girls in the first one. Um, mm -hmm. I actually remember all four of their names in this one. Um, I kept forgetting some of their names in the first one, but I know the whole band, which is unnamed. They did not name the band. Oh, they should have. Yeah, I don't know. What 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 would you name the band, Garrett? Name the band. I don't know if we're going something like like uh, drill based, you know, um, the drill bits or something. The I don't drill know. That's, bits. Not, that's not that's not a very good one. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I as, as far as the band goes, I don't really think that we get a lot of like female band, you know, like the entire the entire band is female. You know, like I love a good female bass player. Uh, and they're out there killing it. And um, uh, a lot of the music that was made for this movie was like originally made by like a different band that was was used for this. So it, a lot of it's like kind of an original song. They're not just like a cover band, but in the confines of this, that's an original song that the, the band wrote. Uh, so I always appreciate that. That's great. I always love like fictional bands and movies and like see who's got the best uh you know discography here uh, and theirs isn't half bad and i i bet if they weren't killed by this guy they might have had a pretty uh <laughs> not too bad career i mean well i guess in the context of the entire movie did this band even actually ever happen is that why they were so good and they're also still playing technically other people's songs well but not within the movie but yeah. anyways, they are really good though. Uh, I like that they got the they go like the Beatles style. Uh, you got Sheila singing and playing yeah, bass. The bass player, lead singer, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, <laughs> Courtney is uh, she's holding down the the rhythm guitar and the backing vocals. Um, and then we have Amy on lead guitar, and then we have uh, Sally on drums. Um, it's uh, we're at Sheila's condo, um, Sheila's or Sheila's parents' condo. 
for the weekend uh, for this one. So yeah, we're, we're stepping up location for the slumber party. We're going to write some music and stuff, which I thought that was fun. There's even just a scene where they're just like in like kind of in a different room doing their own things, you know. But mm-hmm. then they still like hang out and just are like total goobers together. Like it just felt very like I I very much felt like I was there at the condo with them. I I think my my one complaint in regards to the party versus the first one is this doesn't feel like a slumber party. It feels like they're just kind of like going to the condo for a weekend. Like to me, a slumber party is like you know parents are out for the evening you guys come over and we'll do the cheese whiz situation but they gotta go to this condo that is zero furniture at all (laughs) not furnished it's like a complete bare kind of wasteland (laughs) there's like a stripper pole in the corner and like that's about (laughs) it you know it's mostly boxes and paintings on the floor the first one that's like a you know a home it's cozier yeah it's a little cozier so i would say that as far if we're going pound for pound which one we prefer a little bit more i would say in regards to the the venue of the party i think the first one takes it mm, yeah no i mean I, i'd say yeah slumber parties i guess should be cozier in theory um you know that they um you know take place at someone's house where it's familiar and it's a one-night event this is a a weekend event um so mm-hmm. i don't know if that takes away points from the slumber party but i don't know for me i like the uh the artist retreat kind of style and vibe that the girls got going here mm-hmm. i'm i'm splitting the difference i like both of them but I, I might give this one the edge just because like i just think it's so cool that these teenage girls got to go off for the weekend and just have fun like i i've had plenty of slumber parties but i've never had a condo weekend extravaganza so i'll give it the edge for that yeah and 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 i'll say like it and it seemed like they like just like were actually having a little more fun because like i mean when you look at it in the first movie the girls kind of just like sat around talking which is like totally chill like you know like you 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 have your girl talk and like and that's definitely part of it but like they didn't really do much else than this i mean like here i mean they they're writing music they're rehearsing and they're and then they're just dancing and having and having bra snap fights like i was like do i was like do do gals actually use bras like like snap towels like the guys in the locker room but i i loved it i thought that was great like the they yeah, so- they were having fun here Something I loved is the 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 pillow fight scene because it, it may, honestly made me laugh. And one of the the guy characters like comments on it. He's like, "Do ladies actually do this?" And it is kind of poking fun at that like dream fantasy that guys have when girls have a sleepover. It's like, "Ooh, what are they doing? They're probably having a pillow fight naked." Or it's just like it totally is poking fun at that and has like a real great uh, sense of humor about that. And I think that that's something that you get when you have more of a female filmmaker perspective behind this series. Is you're able to kind of uh, uh, have have uh, jokes about that whereas like some of the male producers that we've talked about uh seem to want to include it for different reasons <laughs> yeah and and i feel like they're even poking fun at the series a little bit too because um so like one this movie has significantly even less nudity than the mm-hmm. than the first one does mm-hmm. first one we get a couple more scenes than this one this one, yeah. it's literally just the pillow fight. They're like, okay, let's just get it done, get it out of the way. And it, and it still feels very natural and fun. It doesn't feel sexy. Um, you know, yeah. I'm not like oogling at the girls. Like I was laughing because it, like they were just being total goobers and like it was like very fun and like the energy was just like really nice. And then they even used the same line from the first one. He was like, oh no, we've died and we've gone to heaven and like literally yeah. reusing the exact same thing. So like kind of a, a baller move on at Deborah Brock. That's like, all right, here, let's get the, the topless scene out the way here. I'm just going to kind of steal some shit from the last movie. We'll do a pillow fight. And, and this was the first scene where I was like, okay, like, you know, Deborah's got a, a vision too. Like we got some cool shots here with like the feathers uh, coming down and stuff. Yeah, I will say uh, if we're talking about the guys who crashed this party, uh, it has been a while <sighs> since I've seen a slasher movie that I've wanted someone to die more than with TJ. I was waiting for that guy to bite it the entire time. TJ sucks. And frankly, the death that he gets, I could have used a little bit more brutality. Like, take his head off. TJ is the worst. <laughs> Agreed. Oh, my God. He's like, hey, this girl with PTSD, let's drown her. Yeah, I'm with you. TJ is the absolute worst. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, the worst. Like, I mean, we gave the guys in the first one, like, a little more credit. Because, like, even though they were, like, kind of being little shits, they weren't, like, 
annoying and egregious and then like and they and they were you know ready to to have the girls backs when shit went sideways and i mean these guys do too as well but like yeah tj i was just like bro you are the absolute worst (laughs) like i'm surprised like none of the girls are like sheila why are you with this guy like this is insane like he is uh like again this is a recurring trope in the series the boys kind of crashing it and like literally when they're pulling up and then other guy was like Oh, I mean, don't you think the girls are gonna be mad if we if we uh if we crash a day early? And he's just like, nah, nah, they want it. They 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 want us to come. Like it's gonna be great. It's gonna be hilarious. We're we're just gonna do it. Uh, and then like later on, they have the guys have like a bathroom conversation, and they're like blaming the girls for things ruining their weekend. And I was like, oh my god, I hate you guys. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're the worst. Uh, I all of these guys are just complete, just killing the vibe, right and left. Like, come on, we had a nice like band retreat weekend, writing songs, eating cheese whiz, having champagne, uh, and lots of other corn dogs. Great appearance from corn dogs. Somebody gets like a nice healthy bite and they dip it in mustard, I, and I immediately was like, I don't want a corn dog right now. <laughs> corn dogs and champagne. That's that's the know, combo that is, we like, got that's in this like movie. such a such a cursed combo like those flavor <laughs> profiles are not even close <laughs> yeah so so we got and we I got mean, we got dead man's pizza in the first movie champagne and corn dogs in this one so <laughs> i i haven't seen three yet so i'm intrigued to see what what food escalation we go to next i know right, we need a, a slumber party massacre like cookbook like what's oh, yeah. what to pair with your favorite dessert wine yes. and it's like cheese whiz on top of oreos or something like something hideous <laughs> yeah that's the real horror is like what's happening on these people's insides you know <laughs> right <laughs> yeah we we do not see anyone go to the bathroom in any of these movies and for no good shot. reason I'd, I'd get halfway through that corn dog and i'd, I'd be you know tapping out <laughs> oh man the corn dog does sound good right now i know Damn. right i know i was like when's the last time i had like a, a nice corn dog it's, it's been forever <laughs> now i need to rectify that thank you Slumber party massacre too <laughs> Yeah, and again, like I don't know why it's it does feel like very satisfying, like just like in this in a movie, like seeing seeing girls like embrace, just like yeah, we're we're hanging out, like we're eating, we don't care what we're eating, we don't care what we look like, who sees it, like none of that. Until the guys show up, they're not thinking about literally any of that, and it's so refreshing to see. Well, I think also it's worth noting that like the time in which this movie came out was like a very image obsessed time, and like yeah. being slimmer and thinner was like much more in um and so seeing these you know women eating all these all this junk food and then you know drinking and talking about sports like they did in the last movie or being in a band like you know in this one i think it's a pretty significant statement that the movie's making versus you know uh kind of maybe what we would see maybe in more contemporary films but definitely of the time for sure yeah absolutely that's one of my favorite things about both of these movies is that the girls their entire life does not revolve around being pretty for the boys or being dainty and delicate for the boys like they just want to do whatever the hell they want to do they want to have fun you know in the original they're all athletes they all talk about sports Um, in the sequel they're musicians they just want to talk about their band and where their band's going and they just want to be normal girls and hang out together and not buy into this bullshit idea of well everything we do revolves around these idiot boys who are going to show up at some point and i do like that you know tj says the same thing that russ thorne says he russ thorne says you know you want it and tj's Mm -hmm. like oh well the girls want it like he's crashing the party like he's the serial killer and he's about as welcome as a serial killer you know like (laughs) yeah um yeah they they again yeah they do have other priorities and and I, I very much do appreciate that. Um, and even like, there's even like little scenes like um, the I I'm, I'm a sucker for a driving to school with your friend scene. You know, like just yeah. Courtney and Amy like driving to school in the morning, like just like normal, very very normal stuff. And like and um and I I brought that scene up because I was trying to think of another thing, but now I remembered the other thing. The, the the girls not only like do they have other things besides the guys online when they do want things from the guys aka like when they want to hang out with them or when they do want to have sex with them it's always on their terms like it's always either initiated by them or or like given like very explicit consent 
like Sheila, like very oftentimes, like when TJ's like, oh, are you in the mood? And she's just like, mm, no. And then like, and then like, you know, kind of later checks back in. Well, what about now? And then she goes, okay, yeah, then yeah, now I do. Because like, and it's like, okay, cool. Like she wants to now. And then like, you know, this, uh, you know, when Courtney and Matt are in the room together as well, she's the one that like initiates like unbuttoning the shirts, like giving the signal, like, hey, yeah, I want this. Let's do it. You know? So it's like, it, it's yeah. always on their terms. Um, I wanted to ask Jessica, uh, since you are such a fan of this, I, I wanted to get your perspective on some of the kind of subtext here, because there is a lot of, like we talked about with the first one, I think this one does a lot more so, but kind of the the fear that comes with losing your virginity. And I don't think it's a coincidence that once Courtney finally makes that plunge, all of her friends start to die <laughs> and the drill is shoved through her boyfriend's chest. So I just didn't know if there any kind of um, insight or, or deeper ideas that you kind of picked up from that, or what, what do you take from uh, this series kind of commenting on this, uh, this theme? Yeah, no, I absolutely love it. Like, obviously, you know, like you said, it's not subtle about it. Like it's very much like this penetration is such a huge fear of hers. I mean, like I mentioned uh, earlier in the show, you know, in the original, Courtney is starting to become sexually active. She's looking at her sister's playgirl. She's, I don't remember how they phrase it exactly, but she's giving boys hand jobs at school and stuff, you know, like she's exploring sexuality. Mm -hmm. She's becoming yeah. sexual. Um, but that gets kind of wrapped up, I think, in with Russ Thorne's uh, kind of sexually aggressive method of killing in her mind. So she's got this huge fear, which, you know, I think for a lot of people, a fear of sex is a normal thing growing up. It's the unknown, mm -hmm. you know, um, especially for some, for someone who I'm, I'm not trying to get too graphic, but the idea of penetration being physically painful is a fear, Yeah, mm -hmm. you know? So I love that they're exploring this idea of, you know, what happened to her at a very crucial point in her psychosexual development and getting mm -hmm. this idea of sex and pain getting kind of rolled up into one so mm. she's got an even bigger fear than most people her age would have i think also i i find it so interesting that she identifies so much with the killer like at one point he says i am you and you are me you know she's she kind of sees herself as the killer in some ways as if she's penetrating people or if she's initiating you know, sex with the girls and with the boys. It's all kind of wrapped up in her head. Yeah. And I like that it kind of explores her confusion because, yeah. you know, I definitely read this as, as Courtney being bisexual and she might be confused about that identity or confused about, you know, what do these feelings mean? I grew up thinking I was supposed to have these feelings for boys, but I'm having these feelings for girls too. And I don't know what to do with that. Um, But I, like, this is a, this is a crazy film and it goes in really wild directions, but it does also kind of explore. I don't want to say universal because I don't like to speak for everybody on the planet, but a pretty sure. common fear of sex mm -hmm. when you're growing up and the idea of what happens to me if I cross this threshold that in my mind is kind of combined with this really scary guy who made such an impact on me and my sister's lives. Yeah. Um, so I just, I love that it explores this universal fear, but also something very specific to Courtney and it explores the fear of kind of discovering who you are sexually and not knowing how to deal with it. Yeah, I hope I, that answered your question. <laughs> no, no, it totally does. And I think it's also worth like noting too, that a lot of movies, even nowadays, like don't really support or uh, don't really like dive into female sexuality. Like, it's just mm -hmm. like, women don't think about sex. Why would they? <laughs> Devon and I were talking about last week, whether or not women, was it pee, was it pee or poop? I can't remember. <laughs> oh no, it was whether they ate food. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we found out women actually do eat food. No, um, but I, yeah, I think it's worth noting. Yeah. That, uh, especially for a movie back in the late 80s to explore uh, female sexuality, regardless of how deep the subtext is, it's still mm -hmm. there. And it's something that you can still pick up on if you want to or just enjoy the the kills and the music if you'd like to. Uh, but it's still there. And it also reminds me of uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street too, to where I, I'm curious if the filmmakers were like, as oblivious as they were with that movie to where they're like, Oh, I'm picking up a lot of like queer themes in this. And they're like, wait a minute, what? And you're like, wait a minute, what? You didn't see this until now. Like you worked on this movie for two years and you didn't know about that. I'm curious if they were actually aware of this. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they were. 
I mean, I, I think it has to be intentional. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Devon. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I I just agree with both of you that um yeah, because at first I didn't really I I wasn't seeing it, and then like and then like once I like kind of was going back through it, I was like, okay, no, that actually does make a lot of sense because it, it you know it's like she really only you know she yeah she was like happy that like Matt like thought she was cute and like wanted to ask her out but like it seemed more that she was just like okay yeah I'll just like I'll talk to him and like ask him out like to like make her friends happy you know because it's like oh I should be thinking about a boy right now even if she's not you know she's more uh, you know I'm ready to go have a weekend with the girls and like you know we're we're gonna have a weekend you know yeah and uh, I think go uh, ahead um yeah uh, and i was just saying um yeah pretty much just that uh okay and now i lost it go ahead <laughs> oh i apologize my no, bad. You're i was just i was just gonna say it also is very in line with her character and i think a lot of times when you do see recurring characters in slasher films like in, in their sequel that uh it they're still just kind of the same like they just happen to not be dead like their friends are but this <laughs> it's like they're actually yeah there's some like psychological ramifications um of, mm-hmm. of, of what happened and when you are such uh like a moldable age as being in puberty and we already saw that courtney was a very you know uh, sexually curious character she was reading a playgirl magazine in the first one uh and then now uh you know however many years later uh, we, we do get to kind of see the ripple effect of, of, of what happened there. It, it mm-hmm. kind of seems like her like trauma was like kind of represented like it, like her, her like kind of sexual curiosity, like kind of took steps backwards in a way. Like, cause mm-hmm. like, yeah, she was a little more curious in the first one, but then like at the beginning of this movie, you know, they kind of present her like in a very like innocent way. Um, you know, like she's, you know, she's known as the sweet one of the group, like the sweet shy one, um, you know, which, when we see her in the first one, like she's, you know, the sarcastic one. She has like a lot of, yeah, a bigger personality. And then this one, yeah, she's the shy girl. Like even when she's eating dinner with her mom, they like do the thing where she, she's drinking milk with dinner. Cause that's a thing that people do apparently. But now it's like <laughs> the milk is obviously the innocence, a uh, whole kind of factor. Sure. And then this fear of literally them saying she's like getting psychic visions of her sister saying, don't go all the way. Don't don't yeah. have sex. Whatever you do, don't have <laughs> sex, or else you're the drill man's gonna come. Don't yeah. do it. <laughs> so Which, it, you know is also like a very pervasive kind of idea in '80s horror movies that like no, if you die or if you have sex, you're probably gonna die. Like that's the that seems like a punishment or a consequence of what happens. But I think this movie also explores kind of other areas of like adolescence and puberty with like uh sally having like her entire head morph into a giant zit which is super (laughs) gross Um, Uh, but it is kind of that too of like you're got pimples and your your body's growing and developing hair and it's weird and mm. gross and then yeah yeah like it takes it a pretty literal direction where her friend's head turns into a giant boil which was uh so unnecessarily gross i was like (laughs) guys <laughs> and it's like all over her and everything it even Not gets in her fan. mouth and that made me gag i, like, I literally <laughs> I <know. laughs> yeah i was really not expecting that but uh yeah super gross there <laughs> liquids in other people's mouths are instant no-nos for me and it literally caught me off guard i was like oh god i was like that was so 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 gross um yeah and 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 something you said jessica that i that kind of answered something that I had been wondering after the film um, was, you know, that because you, you mentioned that she might kind of see herself as, in the killer a little bit or see herself as the killer. Cause it, cause why would, you know, in, in the first one, Russ Thorne is a pretty normal kind of schlubby, like whatever kind of guy. Yeah. But then in, in these visions that she's having, um, you know, she's seeing the, the killer that did this as this sexy rock and roll man. Um, with impeccable makeup and uh, and a drill on the end of a guitar, so it's like with this like whole music influence. Then I was like, oh, like yeah, that is kind of like a projection, a, a layer of projection of herself onto him. In addition to like everything that's kind of going on, I didn't really. I, I was wondering why, but now that kind of answers it. Yeah, and I I think I think um. I want to say it was Amy who says this, but she says, she even says something to her about, have you heard of subliminal projection? I don't remember if it's Sally or Amy, Um, but they even introduced that. Yeah. Yeah. They even like bring that up to be like, 
wink at the audience like there's a lot more going on in this connection between Courtney and the killer than it seems at first blush yeah I and I didn't realize that I I, I remember just putting in my notes I was like I was like oh see I, I again and a cool character moment Amy's like super smart she's quoting these psychology books that she that she mm-hmm. reads but um I didn't really think like think about what she was saying and it that makes a whole lot of sense. I, I think it's really interesting because we talked about with the first movie, the killer in that is just like, he doesn't have a gimmick. His gimmick is his weapon and that's about it. He's just kind of like a crazy guy that just escaped a place and is now just killing people. And then this is like such a distinct, weird, like specific thing. And mm-hmm. it's like such a bizarre choice to have this kind of 50s <laughs> rockabilly guy who's wielding this guitar that's a drill. It's like, I, I want to be in that pitch meeting <laughs> <you know? laughs> where, where that was suggested here. And they're like, no, that actually sounds really great. I'm really looking forward to that. But um, yeah, it's it's a truly bizarre pick. And now it's making me, because uh, I, I have not really heard much about the third one. I knew this one, like I said, because the reputation mm-hmm. kind of preceded it. So I don't really know much about the killer in the third one at all. So it's like, if this is the direction that we're going in with the second one. I was like, I'm very curious to see the third one. Oh man, this guy has so much flavor. The driller killer. He's got the moves. His cackle is amazing. Um, I mean, his performance. I mean, this guy is really doing it all. Shout out to Atanas Iltich. Illich? Illich. Well, um, maybe uh, the reason uh, that he has so much flavor, I learned this, is that his father, does anyone know this fun fact besides me? Okay. Uh, his father, Mike Illich, uh, is the founder of Little Caesars Pizza, which I think is the funniest thing in what? the world. He also uh, is the owner of the Detroit Tigers and the Detroit Red Wings. So, um, what? You know that. So, <laughs> whoa. Huh. That is it all comes I, back I, to corpse pizza. I know. That's I heard I that and I was like, that's a, an incredibly bizarre and hilarious fun fact. And I'm, I'm glad I know that now. I wonder what the what the year was, because did Mark Illich watch the first movie and go, hmm, pizza. I should get in the pizza game. <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious. Uh, it's found in 1959. So oh, it's a pretty, pretty old company. Dates. I had no uh, idea that Little Caesars was that old. My God. Huh. Okay. Oh. Wow. Uh, but no, he was in the pizza empire long before this movie. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, that's I, I learned that, and I was like, "That's the most insane thing I've ever heard." <laughs> yeah, Jessica, what's your what's your favorite driller driller killer kill of the movie? Oh man, I am a huge fan. Like this happens a lot. Like this is one of my favorite kills in Scream Two when we see the victim right before they're about to die. And then we see the other side of the wall and we see mm-hmm. the the weapon come out all bloody. Mm-hmm. So when I think it's Sally, when Sally gets killed yeah. uh, and it comes like through the telephone, I, yeah. you know, I, I should say TJ just cause I'm glad TJ died, but I, I just love that weapon coming through the wall scene. So that's my vote. It's funny. I was going to say TJ too, just because I'm like, he sucks, but it's not the best kill. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the the guy's name. Uh, Devon's much better with the character's names than I am, but the boyfriend uh, who gets the drill through the chest. Mm-hmm. It's a great moment, but the payoff is so good where she's like, oh my God, you're not real. You're not real. Cause that's what we've seen the whole movie that everything mm-hmm. has been this kind of dream sequence fake out. Mm-hmm. And then he says, does this look real to you? And like holds up a s- severed hand. Yeah. And then, like, <laughs> I love the bit where he like spins the drill and it like flings all the guts around. It's a really, really great moment. So I think those two moments are like better than the kill itself. So I, I'd say that's my favorite drill, the uh, driller moment. <laughs> yeah. Matt, Matt, Matt's death is pretty, good um i definitely did like the yeah throwing the the arm at the wall was a great choice i really dug that but um jessica picked mine for sure too like that was so so cool like he's killing sally you don't see it but it's also because they were also about to call the cops so they're about to be on the phone and then uh drill coming through the phone i was like damn that was that was pretty (laughs) cool um but i mean uh amy uh or not amy sheila does get a pretty great death. She gets the extended mm-hmm. uh, sequence uh, <laughs> set to uh, "Let's Buzz," um, yes. uh, the the Driller Killer's signature song. They play it over the credits again at the end of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, this is a very long sequence. 
Um, it's gorgeous. This is where we start getting like all the colors. We get some just like really cool shots. Like every time they, the way that they light the driller killer just makes him look really cool. Yeah. Like as he's cheesy also, as he should um, be, but he's cool. He's, he's lit from behind a lot and there's always yeah. like a cloud of smoke around him. Yeah. Like he's like Bon Jovi at a concert. Yeah, he's, he's definitely got kind of this aura that comes along with them, which I think is great. Like if you're a killer, you need to have some ambiance and he's, he's got that and, and, and spades <laughs> for sure I, I love that moment when he's drilling holes in the door and each hole there's a new color shining through it yeah. it's just so gorgeous and weird and i love it like he, yeah. he's got style to spare for sure if i 100%. was if i was if i was the, a sports agent of slashers i would say the driller killer he's he's got that thing he's got the it know? factor he's got that it <laughs> factor he's i don't gonna... know what it is son but you've got it <laughs> oh man for sure um i i i'm very much was a big fan of the driller killer um just yeah this one i feel like again like as much as i love the simplicity of the first one um i just really like how bombastic this gets because like i was even i even caught myself like wondering if the third act was gonna like live up to because at first like we're it was all just the hallucinations and stuff which were fun i really dug those uh the one in the bathroom with all the blood that was really fun Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, very the shining-esque and um uh and I really dug that. And then so, but then I was like, okay, like, uh, so if he, is he real? Is he not real? When are we going to find out? Are things going to like, you know, really get going? And then like, I mean, as soon as shit's real, like it's super fun. The the chase through um the, the construction, the house under construction. Oh man. Mm-hmm. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, the, I wanted to say the outfits in this movie. We talked about the mm. first one that like the girls wear. There's some killer outfits in this. There's like one that she's wearing at the beginning where she's like looking at the dead bird. She's got like <laughs> suspenders and like a sweater on. I was yeah. like looking terrific. But also mm-hmm. the main killer. He's got a great fit. Also, it'd be a great Halloween costume. I have, might have to mark that one down as a as a maybe for next year. <laughs> you got I just it. want those boots. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, He's yeah. got like the silver caps on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Looking really cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got a project ahead of you um, remaking that <laughs> guitar. I mean, that thing is, that thing is wild. Um, yeah, I, I want to know, like, is that is that a custom thing? Does he make his own guitars? Did he like go to someone, or is there like a weird dreamscape like guitar, you know, factory that's like a figure from hell? Do like, you go to Home Depot or do you go to Guitar Center? Exactly. Who, yeah. who is carrying? It? Who is gonna make this? <laughs> exactly yeah i'm trying to now i'm trying to think of like what other you know weapons like and horror that we that we have seen that are like musical instruments and i think he might kind of have a monopoly on that i don't really think we see a lot of you know you might get a kill every now and then from like a guitar or something like that but to the weapon to be a musical instrument is like another very like specifically odd thing like it's not particularly scary but i don't think this movie's like trying to do that because they're playing like 50s rockabilly music while they're like <laughs> running around and being chased it's like benny hill practically it's, it's <laughs> a lot of fun <laughs> we got we got cd face from like one of the hellraiser movies i think that's about yeah the the the, <laughs> o- it, the only competition yeah. even close to the the drill guitar and death by stereo in the lost boys yeah yes yeah cd faces what a dated costume that is you know (laughs) (laughs) oh man but i mean i i have i had a i had a whole lot of fun with this i think the only last thing that we need to lead off with is which is the best musical number of the movie I mean, it's got to be Let's Buzz, right? Yeah, like, that's it has the. To be. I, yeah, I feel like it's. It, you know, the answer is the answer. Like that is, <laughs> it's the it's the one to where this movie. I feel like that when that happens, I was like, oh, okay, there it is. Like I was, I've been waiting for this. Like, mm-hmm. where has this been the whole movie? Because it's so distinct and so strange and so weird. And I think if you don't have that sequence in this movie, I honestly don't think this movie is going to be as remembered. But to like throw this amidst your your Freddies and your Jasons and just to have this like really bizarro thing in it i it's like it's so much fun and it totally fits the vibe of the movie and it's not like it comes out of nowhere it's just like no this makes sense for this movie to have like a dance number in it yeah exactly and i love how much fun he's having and how often he's addressing the audience directly mm-hmm. which i think ties in with courtney and her psychology some more but i just that's the point at which the movie is like you and i are both having fun we both know what's happening here let's just go with it and see how crazy we can get and i love that 
Absolutely. Yeah, I noticed there was a couple moments of because like uh, during the pillow fight scene, um, while the girls are dancing, a few of them look dead in the camera, and then like, and there's mm-hmm. even a point where like Courtney like does like a hand gesture with it too, like. Um, there's, there's a few instances of like, you know, very much interact with the camera. And I guess that is like the yeah. main tip off that the movie is, uh, one big dream. I, I'm pretty sure. Right. She's in, she's also in a mental hospital with Val, mm-hmm. I guess is the true outcome of this movie, which I was actually happy with. I was like, I was like, I kind of like the, this, you know, the driller killer kind of standing in as this like lasting haunting ghost of you know like not actually being chased by another killer but just like the lingering ghost of the first one that she already dealt with 100 mm-hmm. percent, yeah but um and 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 actually hot take i didn't like let's buzz i don't like the song the the performance uh. the performance and kill is fun like the whole performance and chase like i mean again our homie's got some moves he's got some <laughs> dance moves um mm-hmm. the song itself meh was kind of mid um, I, I did like, uh, can't stop loving you. That one is really fun when he's, uh, performing that one while chasing, chasing, uh, Courtney through the abandoned yeah. house. And that one is pretty fun. And then, yeah. uh, the ones that, uh, the one, uh, the girls do, um, if only, um, the very first one that they do, um, mm-hmm. rehearsal in the garage. I was like, Hey, this is a fucking banger. Like I would put this on my, on my roller skate playlist and like listen to this. <laughs> So. Yeah, I think if this conversation has proved fruitful in any regard, it's that musical horror movies is a genre that like desperately needs to come back. Like, let, yes. let's have some fun. Like, come on. I would absolutely love to see that. I yes, know. 100%. Why don't we have more? We definitely need more. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's not too many movies like this one, but we will try to uh, come up with a few that are in the same vein as this one. <laughs> So over here at the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club podcast, we like to do a little game of sorts called movie math. And the way that this works is it's your simple arithmetic, no algebra here, uh, but you just take a couple of movies, could be two, could be three. Uh, sometimes Devon likes to like take it to the power of whatever and you know, <laughs> E equals MC squared it and make it really complicated. But essentially you just say, hey, this movie, uh, in this case, the Slumber Party Massacre Part 2, reminds me of these two movies together. So you have this movie plus this movie equals the slumber party massacre so devon why don't you go ahead and tell us what you've got here and i'm looking at the equation that you've got here and once again you have made it complicated <laughs> i was about to say i was like hey i did it again because um you know i i go by a, i have a i have a formula okay i have i have i have uh the daddy disco formula yes. if you will so um for mine um i got a nightmare on elm street um, I'll, I'll go with the original cause I know you'll have a little more thoughts on it than I will. And I pull that for like the main, like first 40 minutes of this movie, like all the hallucinations of the driller mm-hmm. killer, just like kind of fucking with her head. Um, the way that they kind of showed these like a uh, montage, um, you know, premonitions that she's having, um, is Courtney also, does Courtney also have psychic powers? Who's to say <laughs> who, who's to say, we don't know. Um, so, um, I'll go with the, the first one, maybe even like dream warriors in a way. Um, and then I went plus with, uh, Rob zombies, Halloween two. Um, gotta be honest, man. <laughs> that's such a weird pick to me. Like typically I'm pretty in step with you and I can see it, but I was like, I can't think of two more movies that are like on the opposite okay, ends of the let me, spectrum. Let me, <laughs> let me explain myself. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> um, one thing that I really like about Rob zombies, Halloween two is the um, way that they explore the trauma of a final girl. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Courtney is a final girl. She was a very young one at that, um, survived, you know, the events of the first one. And then seeing how this, like, fundamentally, like, changed them. Like, whenever we pick up um, with Laurie Strode in Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, <laughs> I'm going to say it like that every time. Um, you know, that version of Laurie is so different than any version of Laurie we've seen. Like, she was very much shaken and changed into a like completely different person yeah. um and so exploring that aspect of it also with some of the dream sequency stuff in it um we sure. do get lots of dream sequence stuff with uh mike myers and his mom and the white horse and you know all that fun stuff um yeah. so that's that's where i um 
put in some influence there. Um, that is in parentheses, so I got that plus that um, in parentheses uh, times inception because we have um, when you think about it, uh, three we get we we got three layers of dream levels in this movie yeah. going on. Um, yeah, I'm glad so, yeah. you uh, were able to elaborate a little bit because some of this I was like, "Wow, that's okay." I can't wait to see how he, the, the the mental gymnastics he does. But you stuck the landing. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> big, big, big defender of Rob Zombie's Halloween Two director's cut specifically. Oh man, we, that's a different podcast for a different time, my friend. Uh, but the movies <laughs> that I picked uh, was uh, most in regards to the tone as well as the dream sequence element uh, i picked freddy's dead the final nightmare which is the eighth installment into the uh, nightmare on Elm street uh, series a lot of people's least favorite uh, results may vary on that one uh, but then i also picked rocky horror picture show for pretty obvious reasons uh, for one that movie is super gay uh, and it's also very theatrical and uh is uh, also has the the music element to it uh so i think you take those two movies and it makes the very unique unique flavor like we talked about with champagne and corn dogs of the <laughs> summer party massacre part two <laughs> all right i picked um my first pick is girls just want to have fun uh which you know shy girl has meets a new friend the joint enters a dance competition it's very 80s very fun lots of musical numbers plus um seven specifically the lust kill because that mm. weapon looks a lot like the driller killer's weapon oh yeah mm -hmm. Oh. Um, plus uh, Friday the 13th part 6 Jason Lives because that is like a slasher movie that's like a live action cartoon it's it. my favorite of the franchise and this yeah, is yeah I knew you were cool yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my equation <laughs> yeah Very good. I, I can I can definitely see um, a little bit of all of those in there yeah Jason Lives yeah. definitely um, very similar mm -hmm. on um, kind of the, the brisk comedic vibe like everything kind of moves like very fast in that, in that mm -hmm. uh, kind of way um, that needs to be the new Teton of the show because I'm going to make that happen where we're going to mention uh, Jason Lives as much as we can because I absolutely <laughs> adore that movie. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> when will we cover that one? Who knows? <laughs> but um, we got one more uh, movie in the Slumber Party Massacre series to tackle. Um, in addition, we're also going to do the reboot. Aside from that, who? where do we even go in uh spm3 where like where do we even go <laughs> this one should be in space I, I don't think it is um i feel like that would be the more logical one but you know who's to what well, we, we shall find yeah. out we uh, shall yeah jessica thank you so much for joining us uh for yeah. tackling number two uh this one was a it, it truly is a blast um what are you working on right now where can people find you People can find me on Twitter at We Who Walk Here. Um, I've got pieces coming out with Film Cred and Dread Central and Daily Grindhouse, lots of other places. I always post links and post like cosplay stuff and everything. So come say hi to me on Twitter at We Who Walk Here. And thank you both so much for having me. Of course. You're welcome anytime. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, very much. Uh, very excited to see where the rest of the series goes. Um, and we will tackle the reboot and then we are, we'll have a, a special episode at the end of the month as well, um, to continue on in our celebration of women in horror, um, having a good time exploring this series. Um, Garrett, what are you working on right now? Uh, you can find me on YouTube, on Twitter, Letterboxd, at Garrett McDowell. Uh, just posted uh, my review of The Batman, so if you want to get some in-depth thoughts there, none regarding uh, Robert Pattinson's jawline, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but I'm also working on a video coming up soon, ranking all of The Batman, which I'm very excited to see. Uh, and if you want some more podcast goodness from me, I also host a, a Star Wars podcast called the Scum and Villainy Podcast, and that's available on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to go see the Batman before I can watch your review, um, but um, I will have to wait probably another day for that. Probably. Oh, man. How will you? How will you survive? How will I survive? <laughs> oh man, we're so privileged. I love it. Um, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Daddy Disco. Um, I do another podcast, Breaking Waves, on the Beta Wave TV YouTube channel. We interview um, creative artists out here in Los Angeles. It's a good time. You can uh, see our faces in that, and that's um, a lot of fun. And I also guested on uh, the TGIF podcast 
um, at Talking Hellraiser. Uh, that episode went up uh, last week. And the host of that podcast will be joining us uh, for the Slumber Party Massacre reboot. So very excited for that. Um, last and not least, if you are listening on Spotify or Apple, go ahead and rate us five stars. We would very much appreciate that. We actually got some new ratings on Apple. Ooh, That's nice. Ooh, very nice. Um, a, a couple, a couple new ratings. So you know, um, let's keep that train going. Right? Were it. they positive? Were they positive, or was it like you know? Yeah, we're still we're still in five stars. <laughs> There's one yes, four okay. star, but that was from like before you came on, and I don't even know why. But no, oh, we're 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 mainly fives though, so that's <laughs> good, that's good, what we good. that's what we like around here. I'll write us some nice words, screenshot it, we'll post about it. You know, we we would love to um, hear from you. But that will go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Blade One Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And follow us on social media at Bloody Blunts Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And until next time, guys, stay lifted.